0: Well, in our passage today, as we continue in in James, the Apostle, he um, carries on with his uh, overall theme, a theme that I mentioned from the very beginning, and he's been very consistent in keeping with it. That's the theme of wisdom in the community of Christ, wisdom in the community of Christ. Uh, It's a wisdom that is enjoyed and meant to be enjoyed, right? By it going beyond just the individual believer, but spreading throughout the corporate body, a benefit for all, a benefit for all, to be enjoyed by all. this wisdom. It's a gift from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, as James would like to put it, I'd say. Well, we are in desperate need, beloved of knowing our propensity to sin. This is something that James continues to hammer on this passage that we're going to be approaching today. As we've heard recently preached, our condition as redeemed children of God, it doesn't mean that we are out of the woods. We are redeemed. Amen. We are, have been redeemed. Our hearts have been made anew. Our spirits have been made alive and quickened. But we're not out of the woods, so to speak. In fact, we remain in the woods, in the creation that is reeling with a corruption that is similar to our own, to our own being. A world that is hostile to our faith in Christ. But as they say, knowing is only half the battle. We must. Remain faithful at the same time, which will always, brothers and sisters, which will always have us coming back to the one true source of whole sustenance, to the very capable hands of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the very Word of God. You may have been bathed, washed by the cleansing power of Jesus' blood, but your feet need to be washed they need to be cleansed having sojourned in this world you know the, there's a lot of muck that we can get on our feet dealing with this topsy-turvy world that we're in we are in desperate need for sure in desperate need of God's given means of grace well our passage today requires something from us to acknowledge and act upon such knowledge that one of the easiest ways to discern the condition of our heart is to observe our speech. This will touch everyone here. Indeed, it will. Turn with me to James chapter 3. Our passage today is verses 1 through 2 in James 3. The apostle writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. These verses these verses reveal James's background to us. Uh, this problem of uncontrolled speech. It's a very frequent theme among the secular moralists of his day. Um, and in the Old Testament itself and in Jewish wisdom literature. Again, it's been mentioned before, James was. Very astute in these things. Especially is this this motif prominent in Proverbs, right? We see this common in Proverbs, how it constantly singles out these habits of speech as a key marker of godliness or lack thereof. James did this earlier in chapter 1. When he commanded us to be hearers of the word and not just doers, when he talked about what is pure religion versus a worthless religion, my title for you note takers is "Beware a man's hearty tongue," and that's H E A R T Y, hearty tongue. Beware a man's hearty tongue. A hearty tongue. It it conveys a couple things. It conveys a couple of things. Well, first, it is strong and vigorous, which is typically the meaning that we give to the word hardy, right? It's 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 strong and vigorous. The second meaning I wish to convey in it is that it reflects the conditions of a person's heart, thus a hearty tongue. The outline I have for us in our passage, which I'll be preaching from, is the following. Number one, we must acknowledge a hearty tongue. That's found in verses one and two. Second, we must direct our hearty tongue or it will will direct us. And we see this in verses three through eight. And then thirdly, we must address the nature of our hearty tongue. Verses nine through 12 of our text. Passage before us, it illustrates man's hearty tongue and its great potential to harm or to bless. James touches on blows these things. Uh, we humans are apt to despise small things, and therefore we don't think to guard against them or even hope for their potential. These small things. When I say despise, you know, today we think of the word loathsome. It's not what's being conveyed here necessarily. Often when you come across the word despise in the Bible, it's, it's pointing to being rejected. Something is not being acknowledged. It's being rather disregarded. Kind of like how Esau despised his birthright. Well, later on, he sure wished he had it. But Esau despised his birthright. Christ was despised and rejected by men. The wisdom to be gained here in this text is that we must not be fooled by our hearty tongue, by man's hearty tongue and its potential to harm or bless. Now since, again, humanity is apt to despise these small things or disregard them, don't think about our need to guard against them, or again, to bear much hope for its potential. We need God's wisdom and the proper use of our tongue. So it is my desire, it is my desire that this church would heed James's earlier command that he continues to expand on, and that is to be slow to speak, and to be diligent. And training our hearts in godliness so that our source of communication, which is from the heart, would be heavenly instead of hellish. And at the same time that we would seek peace when we are on the receiving end of a tongue lashing. May God be so merciful to us. My point number one, we must acknowledge a hearty tongue. Well, as I said a couple times, humanity tends to despise or disregard small things. Small beginnings as well. Uh, Not exercising a trust and a patience in the providence of God to do a thing that only he can do, often starting from something very small, something we might look over. But even in regard to our tongues we do despise its potential. Meaning we forget that it is a very powerful instrument among the members of our body, as James puts it. So we must acknowledge it. We must acknowledge it, realize it, think about it. Dear brothers and sisters, pray about it. Remember that it is a hearty little thing. The apostle here he he doesn't focus um, s- as much on its great potential as much as he does focus on its destructive potential. But it can be an instrument of great things, again, both harmful or that which would be a blessing. You know, with it we can instruct others in the ways of the Lord. That is a true blessing. And we have to use with our tongues, like pastors to churches, parents to children, and so on and so on, in terms of teaching, right things, instructing in the ways of the word. Uh, there is great potential we have with our speech to do well and do good. But again, the brother, the apostle, focuses much of his text on its destructive capabilities, so why does James start out here uh, in his passage, singling out teachers? Why does he single out teachers? Well, the text itself is, is pretty clear about why, I believe. There is a concern conveyed here about people wanting to teach. And it leads James to give a general warning about the tongue. Now, the role of teacher was very prominent in the life of the early church. Not to say it's not still prominent today, but it was very prominent in their life of the early church. Uh, The office of teacher was roughly equivalent to that of the rabbi in the Jewish community. What did rabbi mean? The teacher. Uh, So, and again, James is speaking largely to a a Jewish Christian community. So they would see this role as teachers having considerable prestige. Uh, Paul himself, later on, he ranks the gift of teaching very high. You know, the apostles, the prophets, the gift of teaching. Um, just considering the task given to the teacher of expanding the truth of the gospel, that makes it rise to the occasion of its prominence. Uh, James, he seems to allude later on um, in the next passage that we're going through in 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 verse 13 of chapter 3 about a a certain arrogance among the leaders of the community. So we can surmise that the problem of, you know, having some bad apples among them, among the teachers. People claiming to be teachers had arisen among those readers, the original readers here. So there was likely a problem going on here that James is addressing. Too many, too many were seeking the status of teacher without the necessary moral and perhaps even intellectual qualifications. They lacked the character needed to stand in the place of the teacher of the word there is that lure of assuming the role of teacher. It could be very drawing to unsavory characters to assume that role. You know, Jesus warned. He said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So God has given to teachers a great gift entrusted to them the deposit of the faith so he will expect and we should expect rather a very careful account of a godly stewardship of the gift of teaching and when we undertake to guide others in the faith you know especially because of the actions that are required to do this you know we must speak the truth. Our tongue must be used. Um, we have to be careful also to exhibit uh, the fruit of that faith in our own lives. Basically, we got to be practicing what we're preaching. And you know, we have that gr- responsibility because with a greater knowledge brings with it a greater responsibility to live according to that knowledge. These are all reasons why James would be calling out teachers at the beginning here when it comes to the use of the tongue. But probably the most evident reason that teachers are singled out is that they are more susceptible to judgment because they are more regularly engaged in the use of their tongue in an instructive way than uh, the other members of the body. And so, engaged in that activity, which is hardest to keep from sin, our speech. I said, again, this touches all of us. Touches all of us. This is why he begins singling out teachers of that greater strictness that they're going to be judged by. What does he mean by that, by the way? The judged with a greater strictness, as it reads in the ESV. It doesn't mean that. They're going to suffer greater judgment. You know, who's going to sign up for something that we're all, you're going to suffer greater judgment? Although there were differently wolves in shepherds' clothing, as there are today, who have, you know, heaped up many burning coals upon their heads in their poor stewardship. But the greater strictness here, it rather refers to stricter standards. Stricter standards, that's what he's talking about here. as they face God in judgment, as teachers face God in judgment, now, they they again, they profess to know these things that they're teaching. And so they also presumably profess to strive to live in accordance with this teaching. so it makes sense that they would be held uh, accountable to their profession, this greater strictness this this greater standard not only should men be wary of becoming a teacher of the gospel because of that high standard that's being imposed upon them but the church in general must be on alert that there are teachers who assume the role of a pastor of teacher and yet they ignore or they do not believe that they will be accountable for what they teach. In essence, they despise the message of the gospel at the heart of it. The, the outward flowings of the gospel, the the community, the caring for one another, the the social aspects even that may be a benefit of carrying out and believing in the gospel of Christ as it benefits the world, they'll lift up and inordinately place importance on. But at the heart of the message of the gospel, dealing with sin, they despise that. The world has no shortage of sharp-tongued, hardy tongues possessed by admittedly gifted men Who command a very large draw of people into their churches. And men who make much of their fellow men at the expense of honoring God. Even at the expense of honoring God. Their words are very popular to the masses. Hence the large draw. There is no warning in their speech. There's no threat of the deathly consequences of sin and people's great need of Jesus. The heart of the gospel. Uh, To the many, this man appears to be doing very well and right. But his teaching makes one comfortable in their sin. Much destruction can be done by this tiny member of the body. Men... Who teach in this way, theirs is a ministry of death. It's not one of life. So, such a teacher will answer to the poor, even faulty stewardship that they've been given. In verse 2, James mentions that we all stumble in many ways. So, this is not just for teachers. You know this is applying to all of us. It's not just for teachers. The general address that we even see later on in chapter four and verses one and eleven, it certainly demonstrates that there, the problem of sinful, critical issues in speech went beyond just the leaders. So this passage is not just about teachers, but it's about every believer. James has written this addressing the church. It's about every believer. Now, we, beloved, are responsible for what we say. We are responsible for what we say. We're all responsible to one another and what we communicate. James throws himself into this lot by saying we. He's not perfect either. He is not perfect either. You know, it says, as we read there, um, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Of course, he's being rhetorical here. You know, some of us may be tempted to think, if nobody's perfect, then why try? We have no choice but to try. We have no choice. You know, does the fact that we will not attain perfection on this side of heaven, does that mean that we don't press onward? Press onward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Certainly not. You know, to give up, to not press onward, to give up the striving to bridle our tongue what would that reveal what did james already tell us it would reveal it would reveal a worthless religion i hope that is not acceptable for any of you besides our lord is capable and he is faithful to get us there. Amen. That is to the point of glorification where our tongues can do no other than magnify the name of Jesus. He will get us there. He is faithful to do it. Not one promise is he ever fulfilled to keep. But as it remains today, we wait for his glorious return a test of one's religion, whether it's pure or worthless, as if a man, when he strives to bridle his tongue, or if he practices the self-control commanded to control the tongue. He won't be perfect at it. You won't be perfect at it. But it is... James's earnest desire it is the Lord's earnest desire that it would be often and continual in our prayer that we'd be seeking wisdom for that self-control needed so my second point we must direct our hearty tongue or it will direct us you know I love it here in this passage maybe some of you noticed it, it kind of stands out I love it when we come across lists in Bible passages. I love lists in Bible passages. Like we find sometimes scripture will repeat itself. These lists emphasize a point that the author is making. So we have in this passage here, and particularly in verses 3 through 8, a description of a hearty tongue. Let me read it again, picking up in verse 3. But yet it is a part of us. It is boastful, a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole of us. It sets fire to the way that we go in life. It's fieriness, it comes from hell itself. It cannot be tamed by man. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And it is a means of a spreading hypocrisy. Beloved, we must believe this about the tongue. It cannot just be here. We must believe it and understand it, not just in passing, simply agree with the apostles' indictment here of the tongue. Underline this list in your Bibles. You know, fear the tongue's potential. Beside the lists that James gives, he undoubtedly would have thought of those sins of speech that are found in Proverbs. You know, the, the thoughtless chattering of the fool, thoughtless chattering of those who bowed to, to false gods, the arrogant boasting, gossiping, gossiping. You know, some are unsure how to def- how to define gossip, but it's it's one of those things that you know you you know it when you see it, or you know it when you hear it. Right? The gossip. This this person is not bridling their tongue. Scripture refers to the gossip gossip as a whisperer, spreading secrets and rumors. The gossip may, may say, I'm only simply conveying truth. But for the gossip, it is sanctified slander. Gossiping. That is another dangerous use of the tongue. I believe James's main point here in this section, verses 3 through 8, is that a hearty tongue boasts of great things. But what sort of great things? What sort of great things? Well, like the bit and bridle, we, we put on a horse to guide its whole body. And same with the, the illustration he gave with the, these huge Ships. Some of these ships were very large. Almost between like 250 some odd men, almost 270 men if I remember correctly, were on that ship with, with Paul when it was shipwrecked. Pretty big ships. Driven by these strong winds on the sea. By a very small rudder at the will of the ship's pilot, directing that ship wherever that pilot wants it to go. Well, this this small member of our body, it can be controlled. Not perfectly, once again, but it can be controlled. Although this inability to do this perfectly, again, should not stymie our desire and our striving to do so. It, the, these are the effects of the corruption of the fall, right? You now, if we, in the strength of the Lord and the renewing of our minds, r- resist the influences of hell itself, there are great and wondrous things that we can accomplish with our tongues. History proves this. You know, some may be given the privilege to preach the gospel to the masses. But all believers are given the charge to be ready to share the truth of the gospel to anyone as as opportunity is given to them. A great use of the tongue. we, We may confess. We may even sing as we have this morning what we believe from our hearts with our mouths the truth of Jesus Christ and thereby bless his holy name. This is a great thing with our tongues to do. We can encourage the faint-hearted. A great thing. In love, those of us who are mature in faith, we may exhort, reprove, and rebuke the brother or sister in spiritual need. Great things done by the tongue. Blessed things. However, The things we are prone to do with our tongues, even us believers, James included, is rather destructive. And that too can be great. One of the descriptions he gives the tongue is that it is a world of unrighteousness. Calvin puts it this way. It is a slender portion of flesh that contains the whole world of iniquity. Another translation of the Bible puts it this way. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. A very world of unrighteousness. And it's capable of staining the whole body. You know, by by corrupting or staining the whole person this tongue and its destructive use of it destroys true religion, which James has told us and requires that we keep ourselves from being polluted or or stained by the world. Where I grew up, in uh, the panhandle of Texas, Trees were a commodity. Uh, There weren't many of them. In town, uh, trees existed because people purposefully planted them. That's the only way they got there. People planted those trees. But when you would drive out of town on a long stretch of road, uh, sometimes there would not be a tree in sight. My wife loves this fact not a tree in sight. you could see forever I suppose being in this crowded city I could see why at times it is a refresh but you could see and not find one tree um, you could look so far that it would even seem like you're looking at the edge of the world but you wouldn't see a tree at all just just flat flat everywhere but then you would see one lonely tree you would come upon just one lonely tree sometimes you know, someone probably planted it years and years ago. That's how it got there. A One single tree in a vast field. Now, you wouldn't pay any attention to what was under and around that tree, to the grasses in the field that provided hay or uh, feed for a countless number of livestock that had true value. You just noticed that one tree. Well, in a very similar way, a holy life, it's not talked about by the ungodly world that we live in. Not as much as that unholy act of an inconsistent professing Christian. Now how they love and delight to speak of that and make much of that, that one act, They roll those stories of the sins of God's people under their tongues as if it were a sweet morsel. Now, you may repent, beloved, of your backsliding, as you should do so. But after having once stained your reputation, it's not easy to wipe out that blot. Tongue has great power in causing harm. It's wise also to consider that more than words, but all modes of communication have the great potential to stain us, to stain the whole body. Facebook, chat rooms, you know, tweets. How many times did you sell yourself If the president, if someone in his administration would just tell him to stay off of, of Twitter. (laughs) The internet, these instant forms of communication, they truly can serve great and good purposes. But it just seems to go, that we've invented ways to mess up quicker and easier. Beloved, there is a real danger here that we need to fear. These modes of communication in this digital age—they—they they remove a sort of a veil of protection. You know, we are much more apt to communicate things with our fingers on our phones or keyboards than we would—we would likely never have the gall to say to someone face to face. And not only do these. Forms of communication have the same potential to cause harm as our speech, but they are preserved to be seen by the masses. It's hard to delete that. Parents, you know, nowadays we need to be all the more aware of what our children are exposed to. You know, they may be restricted from harmful websites. That's wise. But the things that kids can say to each other. You know, kids can be so cruel. So cruel. Stay on top of your, these privileges that you allow your children to have and train them. Don't just threaten and punish them, but train them in the use of these things. But be wise about their access you know we all stumble in many ways and we keep inventing ways to do it. It's not just the words that can be sinful but even our thoughts, even our thoughts. You know just again to reiterate and drive home this this truth that this loss of veil of protection in these digital means of communication that we have you know just think about what you may say or think about other drivers in your cars on the road I I know because I've been guilty of it I'm not a confrontational man but I have been known to honk at someone and then I think what are you doing What, what are you doing One final caution here. You may be tempted to just tell people to ban, ban all these modes of communication. It may be well and wise for you to restrict or even ban some of these modes for yourself, even children in your home. But what right have we? What right have we to bind others from something that scripture doesn't? We may be in danger of becoming like the Pharisees and doing so, being sinfully censorious if we're not careful about it. You know, living in this world of unrighteousness, it requires us to continually, daily come to the capable hands of Christ our Lord and not just getting by by constructing a list of don'ts he would have us come to him daily. So the potential for harm with the tongue, it's alarming. James intends to drive that point home with this list. It's alarming. An out of control tongue can set on fire the entire course of life and it is set on fire by hell itself. You've witnessed it before. I'm sure you have, how quickly gossip can spread, and rarely accurately, if you want to call gossip ever at a point in time accurate. You know, one person says something and, or, or types something with their fingers on their keyboard that they, they shouldn't, and then not only does that gossip spread, but now the things about that person are being spread spread. You know, churches have been divided over these things. And what an affront it is to the head of the church, that is Jesus Christ. It is a dangerous thing, gossip. Lastly, in these verses, in this section, verses 7 and 8, we observe what we observe here. We observe the acceptableness of the animals to man how they can be trained. And we also see the disobedience of man to God. You know, wild animals are are tamed. Snakes are charmed by our skill. But we are not charmed by all these enticements and allurements that we have in Scripture of heaven. What an indictment that is. These Snakes can be charmed and guided. These great ships, these horses that are huge, can be tamed. But we ourselves cannot be charmed by the enticements and allurements of heaven that we find here. That's an indictment against us. Against man itself, that is. The psalmist writes, their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer however skillful the enchanter may be if we will not engage with the lord and direct our tongues our tongues are sure to be directing us my last point here we we must address the nature of our hearty tongue and these are in our final verses beginning with verse 9 Here, James exposes the nature of our powerful, our hearty tongues. It is a means of of spreading hypocrisy. It will, it, it certainly will expose the double mindedness, the duplicity of its owner at one time or another. This is the nature of our tongues. It is set among our members. It is set against us to expose the corruption that is in our hearts. Our desperate need for Christ and our daily need of coming to him. The text says, with it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. In Luke 18 verse 11. It says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. A curse. What does James mean by cursing people here? What does he mean? Is a curse merely a wish For harm to come upon someone like we would wish blessing to come upon somebody? Well, a curse was originally believed to possess an inherent power of carrying itself into effect. Playing itself out, that curse. We see an illustration of this in Jeremiah chapter 19. When he takes... Uh, by the Lord's command, which is important to note, he takes by the Lord's command some of the elders of the people and some of the, um, the, the, the priests. He takes them down to the valley of Hinnom. He takes them down to Gehenna. You know, the same word translated as hell in verse 6 of our text. He takes them down to Gehenna. What does he do? He pronounces judgment upon them. And he symbolically breaks a vessel of pottery in their presence as a representation and therefore cursing them. In essence, so shall it be done to you. That is a curse. Now in Jeremiah's case, the curse did have power. It did have power because it was the word of God. But in the case of of man. What power do we hold in our petty wish to curse somebody? You know, to wish harm to come upon them. It seems clearly to be the very opposite of what Christ preached on the mount, that is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The very opposite of a curse is what we've been commanded to do. To our enemies, even. So the point that James is making is that cursing is yet another manifestation of the heart. It is not from God. The canon of scripture is closed. The office of the prophet has ceased. It is not from God. Also, also, cursing is, it's not the same as rebuking. That is, the rebuking that's commanded of the mature Christian in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which, as the apostle commands, should be done with complete patience and teaching. We also are to do all things out of love. The purpose of rebuking is to do so in accordance with Scripture to help bring someone's thinking and, and their living back into a line with Scripture because they've been wandering. And you love them, and therefore you, you come to them, those who are mature in Christ. And not to satisfy a carnal need to alienate someone or to make someone in our own image, like we can do with our cursing. So yes, we can still be guilty of this today brothers and sisters. You know, we Christians may at one time be guilty of such speech, you know, cursing or rebuking out of carnal desire. You know, wishing harm to come upon someone not as a matter of justice but one of revenge. Uh, to you and to me. Now remind us of God's faithful promise in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful is he to cleanse our hearts. And it is the heart, it is the heart that James desires to see that be made new, to be continually reformed. In verse 10, James continues exposing this this means of hypocrisy with our tongues. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. From the same mouth, from the same source, come two totally different things. One of Aesop's fables, for those of you who remember those from your childhood days, one of Aesop's fables um, called The Man and and the Seder, it illustrates this problem. There was this man came upon this satyr, and they became close friends. Even to the point that they shared the man's humble house. They lived together in this house. Well, as the story goes, one cold evening, the man and the satyr they were walking home and the man was seen blowing on his fingers. It's a cold evening. He's blowing on his fingers. The satyr asked him, What what is it you're doing? So he explained, I'm doing this in order to warm my fingers. I'm blowing on my fingers. Well, later that same evening, back in the home, over a hot bowl of porridge, the two they sat down to eat, and the man was seen blowing on his porridge. The satyr asked, why are you doing this? The man explained, well, it's in order to cool my porridge. Well, as the story goes, the satyr suddenly jumps up out of his seat and he bolts for the door very dramatically, explaining to the puzzled man, he says, I've seen enough. A fellow that blows hot and cold in the same breath cannot be friends with me. Which we know there's always a moral to these fables of Aesop's. The man who talks for both sides is not to be trusted by either. You know, with this simple story, this child's story, this fable illustrates the, the dangers of duplicitous speech, of a hypocritical speech, blessing and cursing out of the same mouth, blowing hot and cold. You know, these are evidences on the outside that can be witnessed. But what this story does not do, and what no Aesop's fable can do, is explained from where does such hypocrisy arise? How does the mouth produce these opposing things? As James has, had argued earlier in James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious, and again, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He is deceiving his heart. You can see that he is. The evidences are clear. Christ declared in Matthew 15, verse 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Again, in Mark seven, twenty-one, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. The heart of a man that has believed upon Christ and is in him is different than the heart of an unbeliever. Amen. The heart of a believer has a new heart. It's a heart of flesh rather than that heart of stone that the unbeliever possesses. It's a different heart. The heart of an unbeliever produces what it can only produce. Vain boasting, the unrighteous things of the world, The leaven of sinfulness, how it grows and affects. The malice of hell itself, this restless evil, a deadly poison. So James pleads with his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The word of the Lord itself declares to us that the hypocrisy of our speech, our varying forms of communication, must not evidence the wickedness of a stone-cold, dead heart. It is not appropriate. It is not proper. It's in its wrong place. These things ought not to be so, he says. It is more evident of a worthless religion than a pure religion. So how is it with you brothers and sisters how is it with you what nature does your tongue often assume more often assume are you careless in your modes of communication are you slow to hear quick to speak are you immature in faith and yet exposing yourself to, to a means of communication that only accelerates and moves quickly the possibilities that can stain your whole body. You know, sullen your reputation in Christ. I urge you, beloved, if you have been careless in harnessing the power of your tongue, careless in the ways you communicate, then start by repenting. Before the Lord and seek his merciful forgiveness. Then I urge you to press onward. Not looking back. Clinging to the guilt that has already been paid for. Renew your mind in the Lord. And use your tongue for blessing rather than cursing. If you have been on the receiving end. Of a tongue lashing. Then try taking this very wise Puritan's advice, Thomas, Pan- Thomas Manton's advice. He says to exchange a sin for a duty, exchange a sin for a duty by heeding the apostle John. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray. May that be an occasion for you to pray. Instead of getting revenge or, or whatever. This will be a holy way to spend your zeal with the most profit. In conclusion, we must acknowledge a hearty tongue. We cannot disregard this. We must be on constant guard. We must acknowledge a hearty tongue, this, this small member set against our bodies. And we must direct our, heart, our, our hearty tongue, or it will direct us and we must address the nature of our hearty tongue. We must be about renewing of our minds in the word of God that it would be coming from a wellspring of gospel saturated truth in our hearts. These things the, uh, the apostle, he's, that's what he is exhorting us to do here. We must not let such a small thing fool us and therefore think that it is so inconsequential. You know, we know a spoiled reputation is very hard to recover. It's a sad thing to witness in a a faithful life later on to spoil its reputation. This, what he gives us, the apostle gives us, this is preventative medicine beloved. That is preventative medicine. Pray that you would be wise enough to take it.